0: This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the Are They 18 Yet? podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads, so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. everybody it's dr karen and welcome to episode 70 of the are they 18 yet podcast so i actually am giving you a new intro that i haven't done before um i wanted to just make a quick announcement that really the focus of this podcast is going to be changing so originally when i launched this show it was really designed to be in the parenting category and it was also meant to be useful for clinicians But really, the focus was on parenting. And due to listener feedback, I am shifting the focus to really more of a clinical focus. So the things that you will be hearing on the show from here on out are going to be topics that are designed to help pediatric therapists be better leaders and make better decisions for their students and their clients. So obviously, this would be relevant to anyone who is working in the school systems or in the mental health field. You know, I have a lot of speech pathologists who are in my audience, but obviously it's also relevant to adjacent fields like special education, psychology, social work, occupational and physical therapy, and really anyone who is working to help kids grow up to be well-adjusted adults. Obviously, if you are a parent, it will also be useful to you as well, because I do think it's important for parents to have accurate information about what's going on in the school and mental health care system. So the focus of the show will be changing slightly. Like I said, I know that you probably noticed that there's going to be a new intro. The focus will still be on helping K-12 kids grow up to be successful adults, but it will be more of a clinical and leadership focus from here on out. Obviously, all of the previous episodes that I've recorded with people, I think are still going to be useful to anyone who is listening, who is who fits in that category that I just mentioned. So I am going to be leaving those up, but the focus will be shifting from here on out. So one of the first things that I did as a clinician to really step into more of a leadership role was that I created my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations program because this was something, again, language therapy was one area where I just felt like I didn't, as a clinician, have very good um, direction just because it's such a complicated area i think even the people leading me you know it there's so much information to sift through and it was one area where i really felt kind of lost as a new clinician and so that's why i made language and literacy my area of expertise when i went back and got my doctorate and really in the process of leading this program over the last few years there are a lot of things that have come up as far as questions. And so what I have really been focusing on this past summer on the podcast are some of the questions that come up regarding language therapy. And I know that I said, you know, this this show is going to be about all pediatric therapists, so it's it's going to be multidisciplinary. I will be having other guests and talking about other topics aside from this, you know, later on on the show, but the reason that I'm focusing so much on this is because I have just seen so many things right lately, um, so many discussions about, you know, what are the most important skills that we should be teaching kids in order to help them become successful adults. And based on my background and my research, I can still say that I firmly believe that building those literacy skills is going to be so important. So it's not just about school, even though a lot of my research did focus on building the skills that kids need in order to be successful in school. Really, the whole point of helping kids be successful in school is so that they can learn the skills that they need in order to have a good life and be successful beyond school. So I wanted to talk about a couple things with my members in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations this month, and I wanted to share some of those discussions with my listeners on this show because I think it really ties into a lot of the themes that I've seen in discussion groups and social media and things like that. One of the things that's that's really been weighing on my mind lately is just the discussion of what skills are actually going to be useful for kids in schools? And there's been a lot of concern about the skills that we're teaching kids at a younger age. So I wanted to speak to that topic because I I do find it concerning that a lot of people are, I don't know that I would say blaming, I would not necessarily blaming teachers. I think some people are blaming teachers, but also just there's there's a very negative narrative going on right now about what's happening in the school systems. And it's very concerning to me, not because I think the schools are perfect. I think that, you know, as as a person in a leadership position, you always want to be thinking about reform and how to make things better. Um, I do think there are a lot of things that need to be improved. Um, kids need to pair their academic experiences and their academic skills with real life experiences, we need to have structured settings where we're learning specific academic skills. But then we need to have some additional sessions and experiences that are guided with people who are teaching and mentoring us and helping us to apply those skills that we are learning in those academic settings. But on the other hand, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that that's what some people are doing. Um, You know, a lot of people are concerned that we're like traumatizing kids by making them do a lot of this academic work that they're required to do. Now, of course, we can't just focus on things like test scores and grades. There are a lot of other really important skills in addition to those things, but I don't think we need to completely burn the house down and throw everything out. There are many things that are being taught in the schools that are quite useful and will continue to be. So I think that we need to pay attention to what those things are so that we can keep doing them. And I do think that teachers and anybody who works in a school is in a very difficult position right now, and I think that they really need support. I think that anyone who has access to school is in an incredibly privileged position, and it's it's such a big opportunity because there are people in other countries who don't have access to the education systems that we do in developed countries. And I think that's something to consider. I think we need to frame education as a privilege, not as something that is torturing kids. I I don't think that's a very helpful narrative to share with young people today. And I think that even if we're, we don't know that they're listening, I, I think that they are. And the reason that I am so passionate about this topic is because, number one, I've done quite a bit of research on what does and doesn't work. And number two, because I am in there helping clinicians and there are a lot of clinicians who are seeing all this input and reading all of these things and really a lot of them are very qualified and know a lot about language and literacy. And they're seeing this new information coming in that's not necessarily accurate, and it's making good clinicians question their practices when they should really be trusting themselves. And so that is what I aim to do is, you know, give people accurate information so that they can trust themselves to make the right decisions and be better consumers of information. So the topic for this specific Q&A is syntax. So what does all this stuff have to do with syntax? Well, the thing about syntax is that it is something that has a huge impact on comprehension, and it is something that can also impact writing, but not just not just reading and writing in an academic context it can also have an impact on the way that we use language in oral language and across other functional contexts. And when we're having this whole debate about what skills can we actually teach kids that are useful and are going to result in transfer to real life skills, this is definitely one of them. And I can't necessarily say that for all grammatical skills and all language skills. So this is where I have a heavy emphasis in the program that, I, uh, that I've that i developed for SLPs, but it's also something that is useful for really anyone to consider if they're working with kids who have a difficult time processing language or who are having a hard time with writing or literacy, or if they're just one of those kids who, like they're in school and you can just tell that they're not quite getting it and they're not quite following along with the class, Uh, This is definitely one area that can make a big difference. But the challenge is finding a way to do it in a manner that doesn't just wrote, drill a skill over and over again, but also teaches kids a way to think about language differently. When we work on any skill with a student, we want to teach the skill. And yes, there are specific academic and language skills that we can teach, in a very structured academic type setting that have to be taught in that particular type of situation. But in order for them to be useful to the real world, we have to think about how we're going to transfer it over to another situation. So while I do present a lot of the information that I provide to SLPs in kind of a worksheet format, it's not designed to just be addressed in that particular format. So, in this QA, I wanted to talk about how you can take some of those more academic looking activities and pull it over to a more functional situation to work on language, but also to help kids to start having that internal dialogue that they need in order to self monitor and, uh, and learn new words independently, and to be able to use strategies. Again, this Q&A is a portion of the session that I did with my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations members, if you are an SLP. Um, or someone who does other intensive literacy and language work with kids and you're interested in joining or or seeing what's included in the program, then you're welcome to check it out in the show notes. I will include a link. And you can also go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Welcome everybody. Um, thank you for being here. This is the first of the uh, three. I'm actually going to do three sessions in July. Um, part of this is because I I know that a lot of people like to catch up on professional development when, um, when it's summer, things like that. So I wanted to do a couple extra Q&As on some topics that have been coming up in the... Um, in the members group. So I'm just making sure that my video's working here. I think we're good. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm gonna get to some of the questions that have been coming up. So I've been getting a lot of questions about syntax. So I'm really going to cover the for the for the majority of this Q&A, I'm going to talk about questions about syntax, which is mostly in module four of Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, but there's a little bit covered in module three. So I'm going to kind of go through the general topics of things that people have been asking and... Um, kind of compile the the synopsis of, of the things that people have been asking. And then there was a quick question about semantic feature analysis and doing semantic study that came up earlier on today. And I wanted to just touch on that before the end. But um, with that all being said, I'm going to just dive into the questions about syntax. So some of the questions that I've been getting lately... Um, a lot of people ask me with just generally speaking, the five component framework, when is the age when it is appropriate to start working on these skills. So I wanted to talk about that specifically when it comes to syntax. And then a lot of people have been asking about just uh, when you actually use strategies like sentence combining and actually study syntactic structures. How do you actually go about doing that in a way that that really gets to the Gets kids enough practice with the skills, but at the same time is something that has transfer over to other situations. Because what a lot of people experience when they do things that are a little too rote and drill and decontextualize is that they see narrow transfer. And this happens with a lot of the things that are um you know, like working memory exercises where kids are kind of just drilling words and things like that. So, you know, what you see is that a lot of times kids might improve the uh, the ability to do the task, but then it doesn't transfer over to anything helpful and functional. So we don't want that. So I wanted to talk about how we can take the things in the program and use them to uh, To actually work on a skill that's going to result in transfer. And then I also wanted to just talk about how you can think about strategies like these, specifically within this program and just in general, um, because the way that I've presented things is intended to be a framework, not as something that is rigid and scripted. Um, it's designed to help you funnel down and really focus on the areas where you can make the biggest impact, but at the same time to be able to expand on the things that I'm giving you. Um, So with that all being said, I wanted to start off with talking about the age group question because a lot of times people will, you know, for example, they'll be watching one of my introductory webinars about the five-component framework that goes into studying, um, phonology, morphology, orthography, semantics, syntax, for the purpose of building vocabulary and building the skills that we need in order to have strong reading, comprehension, and writing skills. And a lot of those skills needed for, for school, but also things that are going to be useful in more vocational settings after school. So really to be able to, to build that solid foundation there. And so a lot of times people ask me, you know, like, what, what age can I start these skills? And we really do have to kind of look at each, uh, each area specifically. And so I wanted to focus in on syntax today. And generally speaking, I say that this, this framework is appropriate for K-12, those, the, the school age years, when kids are ready to start doing academic work. So if kids are starting to, you know, learn to read, they're working on phonological awareness, they're starting to learn pre-reading and and they're actually doing school type things and they're sort of, you know, making that transition to primarily a play-based education setting to a more academic setting, then when they're in that phase and when they're ready for that kind of work, this is going to be the best time to do do a lot of the things that I cover in this program. Um, I know that there's been a lot of talk lately about, you know, questioning, are we pushing kids too early and, you know, are we, you know, expecting too much and and things like that. And I think that it's really important to be mindful of that, but also at the same time, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I get a little bit concerned when I see things on social media that's like, "Oh, we're just te- teaching to the test. All we care about is grades." You know, we're we're traumatizing kids by teaching them to read to read too soon, and there's not enough play, and all of those things. Um, I agree with part of that. I think that, um, but I do think we need to be very careful what we say because kids are listening and kids are watching um and you know a lot of kids are on social media pretty early on um, earlier than they probably should be and so when we're saying things like that and those things are getting shared and they're kind of extremist views without a lot of nuance behind them you know a lot of times there's some truth to people saying things like that. Um, we do probably emphasize standardized tests too much we do need more applicable real-life, you know, hands-on types of things in schools. Um pre-K classrooms should be focused on play, and the majority of kindergarten classrooms should be focused on play. Honestly, all humans should probably be playing more. So we do need that that you know balanced approach there. And we don't want to just like force kids to sit down and be doing worksheets and all of those things and you know force them to sit in a chair all day and not move and not play and all of those things. Um, we need We need to make sure that we're not doing that. And so there's definitely some legitimacy to some of those things. But a lot of times what I've been seeing is when people are suggesting that we can kind of facilitate some of these more advanced skills, people get a little bit alarmist about it and are like, no, just let them play. Well, that's not necessarily teaching the right narrative either um, because there is a way that you can help kids to facilitate language growth without forcing them and traumatizing them. And I just, I mean, I think the whole, I get a little bit concerned when I see things about how schools are traumatizing kids. Now, do we need to improve what we're doing? Of course, we always need to do that. But I think that there are still a lot of good things going on in, in the schools. Um, And, uh, and so how I would apply this specific approach um, if you are using this with younger kids, I would say like, if kids are in preschool and they're still learning through play, you know, that it might not be a fit for them to be, you know, doing a lot of these things that do require print exposure and things like that. Pre-K should be focused on play. It should be focused on, you know, like all of those, the socialization and the language skills and all of those things. So like, I, you know, I think that that is something that, We need to consider there. And I think that a lot of kindergarten should be focused on that as well. Where you can start to test this and see if kids are ready is that if you are working on syntax, for example, because I had somebody ask me the other day, what if I want to start working on these complex sentences with the younger kid? Can I do that if they're not ready to sit at a table and work on, you know, like a writing task that is a little bit more academic? So the thing about that is that one of the things that that makes a huge impact on academic skills, ability to to read and comprehend, and not just like not just academic stuff, but just functional language, it is really hard to function if you don't have a good sense of sentence structure, even in oral language, not just print. And one of the skills that is kind of a, a sticking point. And that kind of holds the glue together for a lot of these other grammatical skills where we see kids making errors if they have a developmental language delay, for example, is complex sentences and those embedded clauses and the overall structure of a sentence. And the other thing is, is that when we actually look at the research about development of these skills, a lot of kids can do these, are starting to use these sentences really early on. So yeah, like a a kid in kindergarten is probably using complex sentences already. Now there's the question of, you know, what if they are not following a typical developmental progression? That's definitely something to consider as well. You definitely want to lean into what what the child is doing and expand from there. So we definitely want to take that into account. And the goal of therapy is never to like meet developmental norms or like, you know, try to funnel kids into some specific developmental progression. The point is to build functional skills and being able to understand sentence structure is a very functional skill. And eventually, regardless of whether kids are following a typical developmental progression or not, they need to be able to use language in a generative sense in order to be able to communicate, especially when we're thinking about reading and things like that. So working on complex sentences is always a good thing to do. Obviously, if you're working on it in a more um, like literacy-based environment, it's going to look different than if you're using it in more of a play-based environment. So my recommendation for uh, the person who asked me about this was, okay, I've given you, it. and when you join the program, I give you these, they look like workbooks. It's just a guide of, and it's just a bunch of probes Of that includes sentences. And what you can do with those sentences is that you can use them to teach specific sentence types to kids. So you can combine the sentences together. You can look at a longer sentence and deconstruct it and talk about what it means and all of those things. So um, you can use it in that context. But what you can do for younger kids is take that guide that I have look at the types of sentences that are in that guide. And what you can do is that within a more play-based situation, what you could do is try to figure out, okay, like I'm targeting this specific sentence type and I want my my child or my, my client to be able to, you know, understand and and start using some of these more complex sentences and complex sentence structures. So what you can do is start to use some different facilitation techniques and start to structure that play activity, whatever the child is interested in. And you can start to take the stuff that's on the worksheets and bring it into play. So when I give you worksheets, it's not necessarily meant to be something where the only way that you can work on the skill is in a worksheet, you want to use that worksheet, and then take it and figure out how you can use that concept, use that skill that I'm giving you in that worksheet and apply it to another situation that fits for the kid. So this is how we can kind of find that balance between, you know, again, evidence-based practice where we're considering um, what the research says about, you know, syntax, and it's important. Importance on comprehension. So, we're using some peer reviewed evidence there. We're also considering client perspectives. If they are still learning in a more play based environment, then we're going to consider that. If they're clearly showing us, I'm not ready to sit at the table and work on, you know, letters and all of these things, we can still work on what they need to work on in a more play based situation. And then, you know, also, we are the um, clinical expertise aspect comes in to the, again, the evidence-based triangle, you're using a specific decision-making process. That's, you know, using your clinical expertise to take what the client's doing, their perspectives, what the research says, and use have some kind of a problem-solving process to figure out how to mesh those two things together. So that's what the actual um, clinical expertise angle of the triangle actually means. And that's an example of how you can apply it. Now, Um, that is one way that you can start to work some of these things in that are more academic and aren't a fit for some of the younger kids that you might have on your caseload. Um, That's how you can start to work some of these things in. With semantics, you can do this as well. Um, You know, semantic feature analysis, there's a way that you can do it where you're sitting and you're writing things you know, about, about different words and you might be writing word definitions. So it can be something where you are sitting at a table focusing on that task, but there's certainly a way that you can do it to where you might be, um, you know, again, in a more play-based setting, you might, you know, have something that you're talking about and you might be just facilitating the discussion about the different semantic features, but, but again, in a more play-based way. Um, I wanted to talk about some other ways. So let's say that you do have a student who is in school. they're you know, they're learning to read. they're, you know, they might be working on comprehension and they're not making progress. And so maybe you do need to work on um, some uh, specific syntactic things that are going to impact their writing and things like that. Um so uh, with with this same concept in mind of, you're going to use these worksheets that I give you, or any of these things in the in the program. Obviously, like if you're going through the program for the first time, I would try them with the students who are the best fit for like for the way that I'm explaining it, um, just to get yourself familiar with the strategies. But um, as you get more comfortable with this. You want to take what I've given you in the, the the strategy and see how you can kind of expand it and use broader concepts for making decisions rather than thinking about like, you know, like this is the way that the same way that I have to do it every time for every kid. So let me show you some examples of how you can apply your own clinical judgment and decision making to this framework that I've given you. So let's say... Um, so I have given you these um, these syntax workbooks, and what is actually included in them is that you know in some some of the probes I might have a um, two different sentences that you need to combine in order to make a complex sentence. So one way that you can address that is to walk kids through the process of using a conjunction to combine those two sentences together. So that in itself is an activity. But if that's the only activity that you were to ever do with your kids, then obviously it would be difficult for them to transfer that to something else. So that activity has been shown to be effective. And I do walk through you a number of different activities and different angles that you can use to target that same skill of complex sentences within the syntax guide. So I show you how to um, help kids to just generate their own sentence about something. I show you how to deconstruct a sentence. I show you how to um, help kids combine two ideas together. And the reason that this is useful is because oftentimes, um, number one, kids just, when it comes to things like subordination, they just, they don't know how to do it and they're not using this form at all. So we do need to teach it in a more structured situation so that they can actually Focus in on that skill. A lot of times, if you have a situation where you know you're working on comprehension and you are, um, you know, like trying to trying to help have them comprehend this whole paragraph at once, that's a lot going on. it's It's really hard to hone in on specific skills. So we do need to kind of take the clutter away and focus in on these specific skills. So that's why I have given you a very structured, Place to start with this skill. So, a good aspect of therapy, and one thing that you do want to be doing is actually doing sentence combining activities and therapy. But then, what we want to do is always be thinking of ways that we can extend and make this experience more vivid for students. Because what we're doing when we're doing sentence combining, a lot of times we're just looking at print. And we're having kids, you know, put a sentence together. Now, print in itself does give us information. It's really important that kids have print exposure and see words in print when they are learning language. But while we're doing that, we always want to think of ways that we can make that more vivid for students. So um, ways that people do this when they're building vocabulary, for example, is that if you're you know, teaching a student, talking about a word with a student, you might write be writing the word, so you're getting print exposure. You're saying the word. You're you're giving them a chance to um, actually pronounce the word and build that phonological representation of the word. You are probably talking about situations and giving them context to where that word might be used and talking about their past experiences. You might be drawing pictures. You might be looking at pictures. You might be discussing a picture and. There's something that has to do with that word in the picture. So you're you're trying to make it as visual as possible. So we want to apply those same kinds of things to syntax. And a lot of people do that with more of the content words, like nouns, verbs, adjectives, things like that, because you can kind of see them. Yes, those words can be very abstract as well, um, but but then we don't do it as much for syntax. So you want to think about when you're working on syntax and when you're working on these activities, Um, you want to think about ways that you can make this as vivid as possible for your students. So while part of your therapy activity could be focused on just the sentence combining exercise, you also want to think of ways that you can do what's known as active and extended use of words and language. And that just means that we're kind of doing these little extension activities that are taking this structured thing and just expanding it and making it more vivid because the way that kids learn language is that it, it does need to be more vivid. So a way that we could do that with with syntax, with things like sentence combining, is that whatever is going on in the sentence, there's a message in the sentence that's being conveyed. We want to figure out ways that we can get kids to discuss and think about the language in the sentence um, and think about the meaning and then also think about ways that we can make it as visual and as vivid as possible through things like, again, we can we can ask them questions about it to test their comprehension. Um, so instead of asking kids questions about like a why question about an entire paragraph, we can just ask them a question about that individual sentence. Um, we could do the same kinds of things that we would do for for studying words with sentences like we can draw or look at pictures that are conveying the messages that are being conveyed in these these sentences that have complex sentences. Um, we can talk about past experiences that they might have in their heads, you know, that have to do with this, with whatever it is that we're talking about. And with these extension activities, a lot of times people don't know, like, do I focus in on this one thing or do I do all of this other stuff at once? Meaning like, do I just Focus on sentence combining and just kind of drill this skill with students, or do I work on this one sentence and then ask them questions about it, and then draw a picture, and then look up on the internet something that has to do with it? And like, when do you do the extension? And I think that's a good question, but you kind of honestly just have to play around with it. There is a time where if your students don't really know how to do a certain task, teaching them a strategy. So teaching them to combine sentences for. Uh, combined sentences, for example, is a strategy. There are steps to it. It's like you're you're working on things like executive functioning and, and steps and processes at the same time. So for example, um, when you're doing um, sentence combining, there are steps to combining a sentence. You want kids to be thinking about the steps in that strategy. So yes, there are times when you are in therapy that you're going to be working on the steps in that one strategy, and that might be your whole session. But as that gets more solid, then that's when we can start kind of doing those extension activities where like in theory, you could have like one or two sentences that you're combining in that session, and then you can go off on all these tangents and do these extension activities. Um, I wouldn't recommend starting there because a lot of times kids do need practice with the strategy, but, um, but that is a place that you can go and again, the whole thing is that we always want to think about okay, let me teach this strategy. Let me let me figure out what I'm doing here. Get the kids familiar with it, and then once they're familiar with it, let's see how we can extend this to other situations. And you could do the same thing with semantic feature analysis as well. So, for example, that is the whole point of that is to um, get kids to start self-questioning, so that they can when they encounter a word, they can start thinking about it differently. And start engaging in some of that internal dialogue that we do kind of implicitly and intuitively when we when we encounter an unfamiliar word. Um, We self question and and think, have internal dialogue without realizing it. When you're doing semantic feature analysis, you're kind of just pulling the external out or the uh, the internal process out and making it more external. Um, So the point of that process is not for kids to get the right answers to the questions and all the things that we talk about. The point is to start that that thought process. So part of that strategy is, again, teaching kids the steps. Um, It's not just about teaching them the word. Um, It it is a little bit, but that's not the only thing. So again, when we do things like extension activities with semantic feature analysis, we can think about it the same way like get the strategy solid make sure that they understand the steps and that they're engaging in that internal dialogue when they're engaging with the language in that activity whether it's syntax you know whether it's semantics or whatever and you could say the same thing about the the morphology strategies that I teach so strategy first but then also we can start to think about these extension activities um so so yes the examples that I give and the starting point that I give for a lot of the things in this program are very print-based, but they're always like, and you know, you can see there's all, there's some different discussions in this group of, of, of ways that, that students have taken this framework and kind of expanded it. So it's designed to do that. You always want to think about how can I expand this and make this as vivid as possible for my students, because what we want this to do is to get students to start thinking about language differently. So yes, I am teaching you some activities that If you interpret it in one way, it could look like it's just kind of a drill-based activity, but that's not how it's intended to be done. The worksheets that I give you are just kind of transferring what's in my brain to your brain, if you think about that. So with syntax, I know a lot of people have asked me, like, what kinds of drill-based things can I be doing with my students? Um, I do recommend sentence combining as a really good place to start. Um, Sentence deconstruction is another good place to start. Um, again, the difference between those two is that you're you're taking two simple sentences and combining them together into one complex sentence. When you're doing sentence combining, that's a really important skill for kids to be able to know to, um, number one, boost their comprehension, uh, especially if they are not using complex sentences. They do need explicit instruction in this. Um, and it does help them to be able to write more detailed sentences when they're writing as well. Especially if they, um, one of the key things that they need to learn there is, is the use of subordination, the subordinate conjunctions. Deconstruction, on the other hand, is that you're looking at a sentence that has multiple clauses and you're picking out all the different messages in that sentence. So again, um, a lot of times when we work on comprehension and, and the comprehension strategies that are taught in the classroom are so broad, it's like, what's the main idea of this whole paragraph? Again, that's like, that's a really important skill. But when we start so broad, a lot of times kids don't know how to do that for each individual sentence. So we do need to zoom in a little bit. And again, sentence deconstruction is about teaching a strategy. Um, It is also about getting kids the chance to actually say those sentences that have those forms that they don't have yet. So we do want to make sure that they're saying those sentences But sentence deconstruction and sentence combining are about teaching strategies that help kids to kind of think through those sentences differently. So, you know, for example, if you're deconstructing a sentence, we want to be able to look for those different parts in the sentence. We want to think in our head, okay, um, you know, what's the message? What are the two different clauses that I see here? Um, Because what kids do a lot of times is that they don't, like, they don't know what to do and they don't know, they don't have a plan of attack for looking at those sentences. So um, it is about teaching the steps and the strategies. So we want to stop, we want to not necessarily think about that as like a drill thing, like we're just drilling sentences. We want, what we want to do is embed that thought process on top of what we're doing. And what we're doing here is we're just, we're teaching kids a strategy really, really zoomed in, and then we can kind of start expanding it out. Because then what you can do with the syntax type stuff is that um, there are times when you make syntax and the sentence combining or the sentence deconstruction, the main event of therapy, and then the other stuff like the high level comprehending and stuff like that can be kind of like. A little extension thing, and then there are other times when once you've kind of worked on syntax for a while, you can do a flip flop. And so, how that could look is that you might be, you know, like let's say that you've done some work on complex sentences. You've taught kids how to deconstruct individual sentences, and now you're you're reading a paragraph, and you're you're you want to ask them a question about. A specific detail in a paragraph that's conveyed in a complex sentence. So you could ask them that question and then you can show them how to go into that paragraph, look for the information and find the message within that sentence. So that way you're kind of taking what you learned over here in this more structured situation and then bringing it over. We always want to figure out like structured and then how am I going to bring it over? And I know a lot of times for SLPs, it is kind of hard to get both in. So it it is really good to be talking with teachers about this, because how that could look is that maybe you're doing the structure, and then somebody else is doing the bringing it over and what they're doing. And so that's why when I say like, don't work on reading comprehension, or, you know, I've I've said things like that, where I'm like, just like, stop working on reading comprehension questions for just a second and um, focus on this what I'm really saying is I'm not literally saying stop working on reading comprehension strategies. I'm just saying that what we need to do is kind of rethink who's doing what to make sure that we're attacking this from multiple angles. Because a lot of times, like if a teacher is working on some of those comprehension strategies, so for example, if they maybe are going to a resource teacher, the the resource teacher can be kind of hitting it from the high level angle, and then you could be hitting it from uh, a more structured, zoomed-in angle. So, angle. So you're kind of doing both things. That's just one example of how this could play out. It's not how it it plays out in every um, single situation, but that's just a, a way that we can think about this. So um, with all of this stuff in the program, again, remember that it is about teaching vocabulary, but it's also about the way that we teach vocabulary. The way that we want to do it is that we. While we do want to focus on picking the right words for students, we also want to teach kids strategies. This is all about teaching kids strategies because if we don't do that, then kids are not going to build that internal dialogue that they need in order to to keep learning these skills uh, when they're just out in the world, you know, whether they're in their classroom or when they're reading a book or when they're writing or whatever it is. So, that's the mindset that you want to have when you are um doing these kind of, of strategies. Is that um we want to re- remember that we're building metalinguistic awareness, we're we're giving kids co- metacognitive strategies, we're teaching them steps and processes, and yes, we're doing that with specific specific language that also is relevant for them to work on, and we are considering the vocabulary we select, but but again, really, a lot of times it's more about the process than the actual content. Um, and again, uh, that's that's kind of the, the way that we want to toggle through that. Um, somebody had a question earlier today that I thought kind of goes with this discussion that I wanted to just touch on before I wrap up. And the question was, um, when you're working on something like semantic feature analysis, you know, we have multiple kinds of words that we can work on. We can work on nouns, we can work on verbs, we can work on adjectives. So should I like work on nouns and then go through the whole process of, you know, all the different language therapy advanced strategies and then come back around and work on verbs and then work on adjectives and so on. Um, So my first suggestion is, or my first thing that I want to say is that there isn't one right way to do language therapy. I am giving you a framework that works. But I'm not saying that this is the only way to do things. And I'm not saying that even within this framework, there's only one way to do it. Um, You do have to kind of play around with it and see what works for your students. But um, with that in mind, where I usually would start with that is that I would probably in one phase of therapy, teach nouns, get kids comfortable with that, teach verbs, get them comfortable with that, and then teach adjectives. Um, And again, we're not just like sitting there talking about what a noun is, what we're doing is we're ta- we're showing kids a strategy for thinking about all the different pieces of information that have to do with that noun so that if they were to encounter an unfamiliar word, they're thinking about all these things. And that helps with that storage and retrieval and all the internal thought processes that happen when we're fast mapping and learning vocabulary. Um, we're just bringing that to the to the external because we know that our kids are not necessarily engaging in that internally. Um, So with that being said, it does make sense to work on nouns, get them comfortable with that, and then work on, do it with verbs and then do it with adjectives. Um, You know, you could maybe do one session for nouns, one session for verbs, one session for adjectives, but, or if you know this, that kids still aren't getting it, you might need to spend a couple sessions on each one. Um, so that is, that is one way you can do it. And the reason that I say that you can do like all of the, like all of the words in one phase of semantic feature analysis is because nouns are, um nouns are a little different than verbs and adjectives, but verbs and adjectives are pretty similar. So kind of making the transition between the two isn't necessarily that big of a a transition, because really one of the main things that you're going to want to cue in on when you're describing verbs is like, what's another word that means the same thing? So synonyms and antonyms and things like that. It's sort of describing the context of the situation. And we are doing that with nouns as well, but the main defining feature is going to be the category. And so the concept is that we're asking ourselves questions and we're being very descriptive about the word and, you know, self-generating questions and things like that. So, um, that's why it kind of makes sense to, to do that with multiple words at once. Um, maybe not within the same activity. Uh, maybe we work on nouns, then we work on verbs and then we work on adjectives, but you can do that within the same phase of, of your treatment. Um, so I would try that. That's where I would start. Um, again, like I, am not saying that in a rigid way, but that's just, that's what I would do. Um, and, and again, the reason is that, you know, the idea is like, let's think about this, like, let, like let's ask ourselves some questions about these words. Um, and then, you know, the first thing that they might want to think about is, um, okay, what, like, what's a relevant question that I might want to ask about this? Because that makes them think about, is this a noun? Is this a verb? Is this an adjective? So because that's kind of part of the thought process, it does make sense to kind of do that part all at once. Um, so that's, that's just something to think about. Um, and when I, when I kind of advise you to, you know, do one thing or another thing, a lot of times I just like, it's more about asking yourself the right questions and thinking through and having a good process for making decisions rather than me being like, do this, do that, you know, because that's, that's not really how people learn things. It's not how our kids learn things. It's not how you as a clinician will learn things. So, so, um, you know, I would say with this, just, um, just be asking yourself the right questions. And, and if, you are, uh, if you're not sure, feel free to post a question in the group and I can start guiding you that process so that we can think through this. So um, this is a good place to wrap up. I am going to be talking about some other topics. I have another one of these Q&A sessions next week. Um, I believe next week at 9 a.m. Central Time is the one uh, when the next one is happening. So if you have questions before then, pop them in the group um, or, you know, just, you know, again, start another thread, ask them below this video and I will I will get to them. I a lot of times will give you a quick answer to the question. You know, I'll try to comment and give you a, as good of an answer as possible that I can via comment. But sometimes as we go back and forth, I do feel like I need to elaborate. And then if that's the case, then I can always dive into it in a QA. and a So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And everyone have a great day. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that if you found this episode useful, I would really appreciate if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you're interested in learning more about Language Therapy Advanced Foundations and learning more strategies like the ones that I talked about in this episode, then definitely check out the link in the show notes or go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.